RadioInfluence.com. Football fans, it's time to go on the record for this week's matchups in pro and college football with just one catch. We're only interested in underdogs. Who can keep it close if not pull the outright upset? Time to find out. It's Three Dog Thursday. Now here's your host, TJ Reed. We are back and we are rolling again in the month of December with more underdogs coming from every which direction. So glad that you have stopped by with the holidays in full swing. Christmas around the corner won't be long before we have New Year's and the New Year's Day bowl games, NFL playoffs, college football playoff. We're here to talk about all of it from the point of view of the underdog. Welcome in to the latest edition of the only show that is dedicated exclusively to those underdogs. It is Three Dog Thursday. I am your somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves, off of a week last week where I came up with a couple of NFL underdogs. Thank you, Miami Dolphins, on the crazy win, which we've got to talk about with our our analyst Kevin Rogers in a few moments. Also, the Chicago Bears, a Sunday night underdog cover and win over the Rams. He is Senior handicapper and writer Kevin Rogers, VegasInsider.com. And Kevin also with an underdog last week, successful the Cincinnati Bengals against the Chargers last week with the cover. You called that one very nice. Thought you might get the Eagles in a later game with the Cowboys there. That one went to overtime and eventually Amari Cooper nixed it for the Eagles and nixed it for those that had uh, Philly as the underdog. But welcome, Kevin. And we, we now have a bevy of bowl games that are coming, more NFL. We've given out a Heisman Trophy. There's there's very much to discuss. How are you feeling? I'm doing fine. And, uh, yeah, you have a ton of bowls. Now we begin this myriad of, you know, the first stretch is a lot of Sunbelt Conference USA <laughs> MAC teams. And then once we get past Christmas, they start getting, you know, the better matchups, the better, excuse me, the, the more recognizable teams. Let, let me let me say that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it going to be a lot of college football to digest, just unfortunately at the beginning. You know, a lot of teams maybe you don't know from a national standpoint, but then, you know, once we get past Christmas, then you'll have a lot more teams from the Power Five conferences, and then we get closer to that, you know, that playoff with the two double-digit favorites with Alabama and Clemson to see what they can do if they, if they don't trip on themselves. So, yeah, I mean, it should be fun over the next few weeks. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll get to the college football in, in great detail momentarily. want to tell you also we're going to talk a lot about the Raiders, and boy, are they in the news this week for a lot of reasons off the field that are just crazy. Jason Cole will be here, longtime NFL writer and voice. Uh, Jason now with Fansided.com has uh, been all over this Raiders stuff about the lawsuit with the city of Oakland. He'll be joining me later on in the middle segment. Kevin will come back in the final segment and make NFL picks. I can't wait to talk to you until the final segment about the ending to the Dolphins-Patriots game. So before we get to the college conversation, the Heisman Trophy, bowl game picks for Three Dog Thursday, Kevin, it's been like 72 hours. I still haven't figured out how New England didn't have three or four guys back at the five-yard line or the goal line to make sure they could make a tackle on Kenyon Drake. What is up? I'm still trying to die, die, decipher and, and decide wh- what the heck happened there at the end of that game with the incredible final play where Kenyon Drake scored. What, what do you think? Well, first of all, I don't know why the Patriots didn't try to punch it in on their previous drive to just get the touchdown and kind of put the game out of reach. I don't know why. I feel like they were trying to run the clock out and then you know leave the door partially open for the Dolphins. 
Secondly, Ryan Tannehill isn't Patrick Mahomes. He's not going to throw the ball 70 yards down the field. <laughs> you know, so you, there's really no need to have Rob Gronkowski back there to try to knock down a pass that's not going to be going that far. And to have Gronkowski slip and fall basically on the final, you know, on the ending of that with Kenyon Drake was great. And for the Dolphins to do that against the Patriots was a win for the NFL just because it's the Patriots. They can never do anything wrong. And here they did something wrong. But they executed it to perfection, you know. And for those laterals to have Kenny Stills catch it, then throw it a few yards to Devontae Parker and a few yards to Kenyon Drake and a great block downfield, that you you can do that 100 times, probably wouldn't work again, but it worked out to their benefit. And you know what? This team is 6-1 and one at home now, beat the Patriots, and – yeah, it, it was really one of the, the defining moments, not only for the Dolphins, but for the NFL this year. Well, uh, it's it's the most memorable ending ever for a Dolphin game. I, I will go so far as to say that. And we have seen, I mean, the, the famous Marino spike, the fake spike against the Jets came in the final minute of the game back in 1994 or 95, whatever year that was. They, they've had some crazy game, but no ending like that. Uh, interesting. I mean, the, the all-time lateral play is the Cal Stanford. Oh, the band is out on the field. That's the most memorable one where the guy from Cal runs into a Stanford band member as the band is in the end zone. But that is, on a scale of 1 to 10, that's a 10. That's as crazy as it gets for an unexpected ending to a game and why you got to play uh, to the last play uh, on that. I thought it was interesting, too, over the course of the last couple of days, the video has resurfaced, and I had forgotten about this, where the, the Steelers almost scored the same way on the Dolphins in the snow in Pittsburgh, December of 2013, doing the lateral thing. They, they fired the ball back eventually to Roethlisberger after two other guys, or, or three other guys maybe had handled it, he got the ball to Antonio Brown on the left sideline, and Brown stepped out of bounds with the snow on the field and had trouble distinguishing where's the sideline. He stepped out of bounds, or else the Steelers would have scored on this play, ironically against the Dolphins. And ironically, are you ready, Kevin, with Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts calling the game on CBS, just like they were calling the Dolphins and the Patriots. So my point is, it's not unprecedented to see crazy plays, but this certainly was one of the craziest ones we've had in recent memory. Well, and also, too, I mean, just when you look at it now, like in retrospect, and let's just say if the ball was, you know, 10 or 20 yards closer, all right, wouldn't you probably try to do the same thing? Because a Hail Mary, you have like nine sets of hands trying to go for the ball where it's almost impossible to catch, where in a situation like this, if you can execute the laterals to perfection, the defense is in chaos at this point. They don't know who to tackle. and It's just the open field that you're probably better off doing something like the Dolphins did as opposed to throwing up a Hail Mary where we rarely see that, you know, go down. We rarely see that be a touchdown because you, you have all these hands and how are you going to get it to the guy that you need to get it to? You know, at least you know you could throw it to someone over the middle and make something happen. So that's where you kind of wonder where the Hail Mary is sometimes a ridiculous play because you could get it in the end zone, but chances are you're not going to execute it. Yeah, it's it's a very low percentage that your guy's going to be the one to come down with it. It happens some. It has happened. It hasn't. I don't believe it's happened this year in the NFL. I'm trying to think if it's happened in college, but it seems like every college and NFL season it happens once where somebody hits that either at the end of a half or at the end of a game. 
Um, and in this play, in this instance, just a couple more moments on it with the Dolphins ending with the Patriots. It's one that they have practiced all year. It's one that they practiced last week where they clearly, by design, get the ball to Parker in the middle of the field to get defenders to come towards him or uh, get the ball initially to Stills, get defenders to come towards him, get the ball to Parker, and then he is clearly looking for Kenyon Drake on the outside with them to set up a block or two. And you're right, Ted Larson, who I know a little bit, he's been a journeyman NFL offensive lineman, makes a phenomenal hustle play. The play's been shown so many times. It's been seen on the internet over and over again, and Kevin, you know this, but watch Ted Larson, an offensive lineman, run 40, 50 yards down to uh, inside the 20-yard line of the Patriots to throw the one-key block that that uh, Drake loops around and enables him to get to the sideline, and that's where Gronkowski doesn't have the angle. He's not a defender. If Larson doesn't run and make that block, that New England defender keeps Drake from being able to get to that far sideline in front of the Patriot bench, and he's probably tackled, or he's probably trying to lateral again, um, and the play doesn't work. So little things that led to big things, memorable, crazy, um, and it keeps the Dolphins alive, too, not only for the wild card picture this weekend, but also for the division, believe it or not. New England has not put the division away as of yet, and they need one more win and one more Dolphin loss to do so here at this point. So let's see uh, if that changes this weekend or not, and maybe that's part of our Three Dog Thursday predictions that will be coming up. Uh, later on in the show, but what a, what a finish, and it keeps the Dolphins alive for the playoffs, and it keeps the, the Patriots from a 10th straight AFC East championship. So, NFL conversation a little bit later on. Let's get into the college talk now, including bowl game predictions and underdogs coming up. Heisman Trophy goes to Kyler Murray of Oklahoma. Kevin, let's roll the sleeves up and get into this. First of all, did you have a problem with him getting it over Alabama's Tua Tonga-Vailoa in specific? What about it? No, I mean, I, I don't want to cut it short by saying I'm not really, you know, huge as the Heisman. It doesn't really matter to me. I mean, all these guys put up great numbers. But, I mean, it's that big of a deal. Tua had a great season. I think maybe getting hurt towards the end of the year, you know, could have cost him. And Again, not his fault, you know. But, you know, when you look at Kyler Murray's numbers in Oklahoma, was just, you know, fantastic offensively this year. You know, it always goes back to every other sport. Why are we not doing the Heisman? after the Vols. Why don't we do it then? It's just like the NBA and Major League Baseball. We're voting on these awards. Well, actually, I think baseball, the votes are in before, I believe, and then they get announced after. But why don't we include the postseason? Like, why are we only just making this a regular season award and not seeing what these guys do in the most important game of the year. I guess part of the like, part of the argument on the timing was for many, many years there were fewer and fewer bowls, and a lot of the times the Heisman winner wasn't getting to play in a bowl game necessarily, or the finalists weren't all getting to play in a bowl game. So you went ahead and, and got the award. I mean, people can't fathom this, and I know I'm a little older than you, but you have to realize that uh, in the 60s and the 70s, for example, they would declare the national champion, Kevin. This is legit. You can look this up. They would declare the national champion on the vote in the AP poll or the UPI poll and it was before the bowl games. You talk about the Heisman being before the bowl games. The bowl games were just exhibitions. It wasn't to decide any mythical national championship. They would do the vote in the late 60s and the early 70s and then go play the Orange Bowl or the Sugar Bowl or the Rose Bowl. So it's still in the mindset, the Heisman of that first 
or second week in December, we're going to give the award before the bowl games because that's the way that it always was and all the players weren't in the bowls. And, that, and I don't know how much you buy that or think it should still be the case, but that's part of the why on that one. No, and I'm fine with that, and, and I understand so like, uh, 39 bowls, there's 37 of them that don't mean anything uh, also, so that hasn't changed. But uh, I understand it, but also, you know, let's just see what these guys do. I mean, let's just say, for instance, Kyler Murray against Alabama, all right, just gets shut down. He throws five interceptions. He's terrible. Who was it? Troy Smith of Ohio State yes. was just awful against Florida in the right, Fiesta Bowl. Right. After he won like the Heisman. 40 yards. Right, right, right. How is that the Heisman winner if you're playing in your most important game of the year and you stunk? Like, what does it matter if you lit up Kansas or you lit up uh, Kansas State or Iowa you know, State? Or Alabama, or you, light, you light up Vanderbilt. Who cares about that? Like, it should be the most important. Not to say that should be what the Heisman is, is you know, basically um, surrounded by, but. You know, if, if it's pretty close, should it be like almost dual on the field? Uh, it's a good point that you make about playing the games all the way through. And then you, you got the whole argument about the postseason versus the regular season and that kind of stuff. I mean, there, there's another argument that can be made, too, that him getting to play, they both got to play a 13th game, made the difference here because Tua was hurt in the SEC title game and Jalen Hurts finished it and that, that created some doubt with some people. Murray plays in the 13th game and played brilliantly in the win over Texas. The argument would be if, if they had the award at the end of the regular season and not for the championship games, then two is absolutely the Heisman Trophy winner. And I got one more for you. I did a little original. I got some original research here. Are you ready for this, Kevin Rogers? I got the paper out here. I got the original research on Three Dog Thursday. Uh, level of competition in terms of the defense, it's nowhere close in terms of what's in the SEC versus what's in the Big 12. You cannot convince me that Kyler Murray throwing for all of those yards at Oklahoma in a Big 12 conference where it's almost like arena football or basketball on grass is the same thing as doing it in the SEC, which Tua Tonga-Vailoa has had to do and other quarterbacks uh, have had to do from Cam Newton to Dak Prescott to Tim Tebow. Doing it in that conference is different than, than what you're talking about with the Big 12. The research that I have here, are you ready for this? I, I just went and looked at the first and second round of the NFL draft over the course of the last three years. The NFL is the ultimate judge and arbiter of who has good defensive players or not. Who are the pros that we want the most out of college in the first and the second round? Not surprisingly, the SEC has the most, but you might be surprised at the number that I am about to give you. So first and second round of the draft, 2016, 2017, and this past April 2018. Kevin, if you had to guess a number of SEC defensive players going in the first two rounds of the draft, the last three drafts, which again is 64 players a year, let's call it 180-something players total. How many SEC defensive players do you think got picked in the first two rounds of the draft the last three years, to make my point? What would your guess be? 28. 28 is an excellent guess. The number is actually 35 by my calculations. That is staggering. 35 players or roughly 10 a year, 12 a year, right at it, 12 a year for the last three years, SEC defensive players that Tua's going against or the other quarterbacks have been going against in the SEC. Now, are you ready for the punchline? Big 12 defensive players 
in the last three years in the first two rounds of the NFL draft where the NFL saying you're good enough to be a professional, you're good, you're good enough to come play in the league and at the next level. Uh, do you have do you want to venture a guess on the last three drafts, 64 players a year, uh, big 12 defensive players? What do you think the number is? Take a guess. Four. Four is a good guess. It's two. Dose. Two. The deuce. Two Big 12 players have been picked in the first two rounds of the draft the last three years. Do not sit here on Three Dog Thursday, and I'm not saying you, Kevin. Do not sit here on Three Dog Thursday and try to tell me that Kyler Murray or Will Greer or pick any of these quarterbacks, Baker Mayfield from last year, on and on uh, down the list over the last two or three years, Blaine Gabbert uh, when he was in the Big 12 with Missouri before he got drafted, had all those big numbers, and that's why the Jaguars wanted to go and take him. I mean, on, on and on with all these different quarterbacks. Don't tell me that's the same thing as the SEC. But wait, but Hold on, hold sure. on, Go hold ahead. on, hold on. What about Patrick Mahomes? Well, Mahomes, Mahomes is outstanding as an individual talent, and I and I get it with the arm. And yeah, and yes, Mayfield has looked good. No one can deny that Mayfield has looked good the last month or so with the new coaching staff and the new offensive coordinator. I'm not saying you don't have talent. What I'm saying is I don't I don't equate what goes on in the Big 12 against those defenses to the same thing as the SEC and those defenses. And if we're just going to quote numbers, please, that's why the scores are 40 something to 40 something every every week in the Big 12 games. It's become a farce. I mean, I understand about Mahomes or Mayfield having NFL talent on offense, but where are the defensive guys that tell you that in that conference you're going against the same competition? It's not there. That's my only thing. That's my only thing with that. All right, so I'm off my soapbox on that one. Oh, and by the way, are we in complete agreement, Kevin, here on Three Dog Thursday on the podcast, that for the 12 voters that left Tua Tonga-Vailoa off of their ballot altogether, not even in third place, much less second or first, take their vote away. You don't need to have a vote, even if you're a former Heisman winner. If you looked at that season that he had, where they were never threatened over and over and over and over and over again, he didn't play the fourth quarter over and over again because he was that much better and they were much better than anybody they were playing. Uh, To not vote him in the top three, take their vote away. Are you with me on that? Or am I standing alone on that, Kevin Rogers? No, I don't think you're standing alone. I mean, I don't know who else uh, who else they voted for, who else they they put in there. I mean, yes, it's it's a very difficult thing with college as opposed to the NFL, where everyone's kind of playing each other in the NFL. You have commonalities. You know, there isn't one quarterback that's so much better than everyone else because of their schedule. They're good because they're good. Now, college, yeah, it's it's tougher because not everyone gets to play each other obviously, but also you're not even playing in that one game against someone, you know, if you're, let's just say, if you're um, Kyler Murray and Oklahoma played, I don't know, Auburn, or mm-hmm. they played, you know, LSU or someone like that in that one game and he still put up 350 yards. Say, okay, well, in that game, he was really good. Obviously, the Big 12 numbers are inflated, but he still was pretty good in that game. He didn't get that. You know, and that's where we just can't judge the numbers. The numbers are so skewed in college for everyone that it's just unfair to have a real balanced discussion on it because everyone is playing crazy opponents that it's just like Alabama plays Mercer. You know, of course, you're going to put up a ton of yards. You know, you're going to see that in some of these games. And 
we don't really know what's right and what's wrong, you know? Well, and in Oklahoma's case, they played Florida Atlantic FAU out of the conference at home, which they thought was going to be a bigger challenge than it was. And remember, all the way back at the beginning of the season in week one, I had FAU in that game getting like the 22 points or whatever, and they got destroyed. And, and Murray was a big reason for that. He lit them up. They also played UCLA, and UCLA was way down. They won a couple of games at the end of the year, including the USC game, but they were awful, UCLA, and he, and he blew them up. Murray blew them up. So it's not the same level of competition, even though they tried to schedule a little better. Uh, Alabama played Louisville out of the conference, and then they had teams like the Citadel. It was it was ugly even out of the league for them. They didn't have a big-time opponent, but then again, the argument would be the SEC would be tougher. All right, so there's the there's the discussion about the Heisman Trophy. It was still one of the closest votes. It was what the closest vote since going back to Bo Jackson defeating Chuck Long in I believe the eighty six or eighty seven Heisman, whatever it was. I think it was the eighty six Heisman. It was that close of a vote. Uh, but Kyler Murray ended up getting about a hundred more first place votes, and Tua being left off of some twelve ballots cost him as well. It would have been even closer. So Murray wins the Heisman Trophy, and I'm with you. Let's see what happens when he plays Alabama on the field in that college football playoff semifinal game that's coming up. We'll get to some underdog predictions, Kevin. Hang on in just a second here for the bowl games uh, at the beginning of this. It is Three Dog Thursday. However you found us, again, subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Our friends at Radio Influence do a great job of putting this out and, and promoting it. Our, our partners here, Kevin and his uh, employer there, VegasInsider.com, do a great job of promoting. We, we encourage you again those subscribe itunes stitcher google play tune in subscribe via their podcast arms and you'll get this podcast immediately so wherever you're listening to us got a great offer it's getting cold all over the the country but if you are coming to florida for the holidays coming up for the christmas holiday for new years you're visiting relatives coming out of the cold and you want to play some golf or maybe you're a snowbird from the northeast from canada from the upper midwest Uh, if you are coming to florida for an extended period of time kevin's in south florida i'm in West Central Florida. If you're coming to West Central Florida and you want to play some golf, uh, we've got a sponsor here on Three Dog Thursday, Paradise Golf. For almost 20 years now at Paradise Golf, they have been offering great discounts in and around the seven-county Tampa Bay area for golfers everywhere to come and play at sometimes a 30, 40, 50% discount with their Paradise Golf Card. You can find out more by going to paradise-golf.com slash football that's a special page they've created paradise-golf.com slash football and if you're coming down here for an extended period of time you can get that paradise winter card right now for half off save 55 dollars off the price of the card with this offer right now as part of three dog thursday play golf a couple of times and the card pays for itself some of the premier courses in west central florida some 60 courses are involved with this paradise golf family go to paradise-golf.com slash football find out more about the offer half off on the paradise card love to uh to see some people that want to come swing it get out of the cold get out of the snow come play some golf paradise golf paradise-golf.com slash football find out more including getting 50 percent off that paradise card go visit the website and check it out all right with all of that out of the way Time for underdogs. The bowl games are out. We have a slew of them on Saturday to begin the bowl season. You and I are in agreement there are too many of them. You can't you can't take all of these seriously, but we are going to isolate a couple of them for Three Dog Thursday purposes. Kevin Rogers, where do you want to begin with an underdog and why for college football? 
I'm going to go with the Raycom Media Camellia Bowl. That's not a joke. It's <laughs> a real bowl. That is an actual bowl. Yeah, that's yes. In, that's in Montgomery, Alabama, between a pair of Eagles, Georgia Southern, and Eastern Michigan. And Eastern Michigan out of the MAC, they're 7-5 and five on the season. Georgia Southern actually had a terrible year last year. They won two games, and they bounced back. They won nine games this year, but didn't win the Sun Belt. That was Appalachian State that won the Sun Belt Conference. But this game opened as a pick and Georgia Southern is now one-and-a-half, two-point favorite. And it, I just kind of wonder why they're so short of a favorite. Now, Eastern Michigan, the last two years, I know last year doesn't mean anything for this year, but just in general, this team has lost 12 games last two years, okay? Ten of those losses have come by a touchdown or less. This year they had three losses in three consecutive weeks by three points each. So – this is a team that has been very close. And understandably, you can say, well, if they're getting seven, you get value with them. Losing all these games close, but since it's nearly a pick em, But my whole point is that this team is probably better than the record indicates at seven and five. And the MAC, we know that Buffalo was the team to beat, and Buffalo melted down in the MAC championship against Northern Illinois. Really, there's not a lot of other teams that are great in that conference. The Sun Belt has some decent teams. I just look at this line, it just it, it just stinks a little bit, you know. And Georgia Southern being a nine-win team, they run the ball very well. Uh, they had a nice upset of Appalachian State in Sunbelt play. But down the stretch, they were only two and two. And the two wins were against bottom feeders in the Sunbelt. I'm going to take the points of these for Michigan. All right, so he's going with the uh, Eastern Michigan Eagles in this case, the Battle of the Eagles, as he mentioned, and getting the two and a half in that bowl game in Montgomery. I am also going to go with a bowl game on Saturday, and you kind of referred to Appalachian State, and you referred to the Sun Belt and Conference USA and the MAC and uh, the American Conference and these different conferences that are playing bowl games, at least to start this weekend before the bigger leagues like the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12 get cranked up later on in the bowl schedule. I will point to the New Orleans Bowl, the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl at the Superdome in New Orleans. Middle Tennessee State, Appalachian State. Appalachian State, the champs of the Sun Belt Championship game. First year they've ever had a championship game. They won the championship. So they are in, and Middle Tennessee State is a team, and Kevin, I worked the game, the Conference USA title game. You actually had it on Three Dog Thursday back a couple of weeks ago. You had UAB uh, to cover against Middle Tennessee State, and they did. They won the game in Murfreesboro and won the CUSA championship. So Middle Tennessee State, the runners-up, getting six and a half points in this game. I like Brent Stockstill, the quarterback, the son of the coach. They are a spread offense. They love to play the tempo thing. They've got excellent wide receivers here. Uh, Middle Tennessee State played very well at the end of the season. They actually beat UAB badly in the regular season finale, and then UAB beat them in the rematch in a narrow win by two points. Uh, MTSU also good against the number late in the year as well. Uh, until that loss to UAB, they had won five straight games against the spread. Uh, a couple of them, one of them was actually a loss on the field, but five straight wins against the number. They've also been good as an underdog a couple of times this year. I know Appalachian State almost upset, almost shoulda, coulda, woulda Penn State in the opening game this season. Keep in mind too, Kevin, the App State coach, Scott Satterfield, took the Louisville job. So you've got that in the mix here too with Appalachian State going against MTSU. I'll go with the Blue Raiders. I saw them. They've got some playmakers uh, on this team, including on their 
defense, I will take them and the touchdown in this matchup with Appalachian State in New Orleans Saturday night for that uh, for that New Orleans Bowl that's coming up. So there's a bowl game from me. Do you have another bowl that you like, or are you going to go to NFL later on in the show? I'm going with two. I know that the Las Vegas Bowl, the New Mexico Bowl, and the Cure Bowl are very tempting, but I'm going to pass on them. <laughs> I was going to say that the fans are hinging on every word. I'm interested to see Herm Edwards in Arizona State against Fresno State in that matchup uh, in the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, the top receiver, Nikhil Henry, is out for that game. Hey, speaking of which, quick thought from you. We've seen some player announcements already uh, where Will Greer says he's not playing for West Virginia. Uh, there are a couple of other prominent college players uh, in the SEC. They're saying they're not going to play um, in, in some of these bowl games. We've seen it in recent years. Remember last year, Derwin James of Florida State said, no, thank you. I'm not going to play in the Independence Bowl for Florida State. Ends up get, getting taken in the first round of the NFL draft. We saw a Leonard Fournette a couple of years ago say, no thanks to playing an LSU's bowl game. Ends up getting drafted in the top five of the NFL draft. What about guys begging off the bowl games? Kevin, quick thought? No problem with it. You got to do what you got to do. And you get hurt in a meaningless game. I mean, I'm not saying it's your fault, but if, if they don't play, then I have no problem with that. What was it, Jalen Smith of the Cowboys costing him millions of dollars after he suffered that horrific injury in the Fiesta Bowl uh, with Notre Dame back about three years ago? He's come back now to full health and be able to play amazingly in the NFL, but his draft draft status stopped uh, or dropped about three draft rounds for being a first-round pick into the third or fourth round because of the injuries. And in in Greer's case, it's believed he's a first-round pick, a first-round talent. So he's got concern about whether or not he would suffer injury here, and that could cost him in the combine or the workouts with the teams if he's rehabbing an injury. So he's not even going to take the chance instead of playing in the uh, the Russell Athletic Camping World with Champ Sports Tangerine. What is that bowl game now? West Virginia is playing in the in the middle of the year post uh, Christmas in the middle of the bowl season with Syracuse. Uh, we'll find out, but no Will Greer in that game. Uh, for them. And again, business decisions being made. Christian McCaffrey did the same t- thing too. He was banged up. He ended up getting drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, said, I'm not playing in Stanford's bowl game. So you can't you can't begrudge a lot of these different guys. Kevin, stand by. We've got Jason Cole coming up from Fanside, a national football writer, talking a lot about the Raiders. Then Kevin Rogers is back in a little bit after that with some NFL underdogs. You are tuned to the only show that is devoted exclusively to college and NFL underdogs. It is Three Dog Thursday. We continue in a moment. Three Dog Thursday brought to you in part by SmackApparel.com for a great in-your-face college theme and NFL theme tees. Go to SmackApparel.com and take 10% off with the promo code 3DOG for Three Dog Thursday. It's SmackApparel.com and the promo code 3DOG. The dogs are barking. Who will get it done this week? Three Dog Thursday now continues. Here again is T.J. Reeves. As we do roll on, lots of conversation about the underdogs as the NFL season is winding down. College bowl games. We'll get back with Kevin Rogers about the underdog predictions from VegasInsider.com in a few moments. I get the chance now, and it has been far too long since I have broken bread verbally and gotten to converse with Jason Cole, who is with Fansided.com. Kudos to you. New gig with Fansided.com as editor-in-chief and writing with the NFL. And oh, oh, we have a few things to discuss here. First of all, welcome. Good to have you. How you feeling? 
It's great to be back, and I'm feeling fabulous. Uh, Things are good. Okay, you're feeling better than the city of Oakland is feeling about the Raiders, because all of this in the last 24 hours has essentially boiled over publicly. Well, we could really go back 48 hours to them ousting Reggie McKenzie as the GM, as if that wasn't a big enough news story coming off the win over Pittsburgh. Oh, now the city uh, wants to sue the Raiders over moving to Las Vegas, which has set a whole bunch of things into motion. Mm-hmm. Give me an overall comment. Is this, are we just used to this? It's the Raiders. We're, we're used to the mayhem, generally speaking? Well, yeah. I mean, they're the, they lead um, the NFL in litigation, you know, for the <laughs> last however many decades. I mean, they're number one when it comes to, law, you know, to lawyers' fees. So this is sort of a natural end to their existence in Oakland is, you know, you know, the city of Oakland files a lawsuit, which, you know, according to a very high level source that I talked to, uh, yesterday, said there's no way that they can play in Oakland next year if they're being sued by the city of Oakland. It just will not work in any way, shape or form. Now we'll see if Mark Davis and his lawyers, you know, come up with something else in the meantime, because I think they were, counting on this lawsuit kind of going away. Um, the, you know, the, the city of Oakland had approved this back in the city council had approved this back in July and it hadn't been filed and just delayed, delayed, delayed. And they finally came through with it here, uh, you know, yesterday and announced that they were going to file this antitrust lawsuit to see if, you know, they want damages. They don't want to keep the team. This is not an attempt to force the Raiders to stay in Oakland, they're happy with letting them go, but I think they want damages, which is either money or if you talk to enough people, they want to keep the brand, the Raiders brand. In other words, the name of the team, similar to what Cleveland did years ago when the Browns, you know, up and left and went to Baltimore and became the, the Ravens. Well, and let's pick up right on that point, because the key part is the city of Cleveland was successful. They won, and you've pointed that out in an article on fansided.com. Legal precedence is a very interesting thing uh, about this. So I, I think it's one of the more fascinating parts of the news coming out Tuesday is they would have a reasonable, if not good, chance on on previous court victory to keep the Raiders' name and have the potential that the Las Vegas have to rename to the Las Vegas whatevers and not the Las Vegas Raiders. Jason, what do you make of that? And that and that point, a realistic chance that they could keep the name in Oakland. Well, I'm, I wouldn't go so quite so far as say precedent because they didn't win a lawsuit. Cleveland uh, they right. negotiated the settlement by threatening to sue. So they threatened to sue the NFL. The NFL said, well, well, wait a sec, you know, let's figure this out. And they eventually settled by saying, we promise to give you an expansion team, which is what they did um, in 1999, uh, two years after this. And Cleveland said, well, we'll build a stadium for that new team. And, but we want the Browns history to remain here. And our model was sort of more than happy to do that because he didn't want to take the Browns to Baltimore and recreate the Baltimore Browns. That wasn't his real intention. He was going to rebrand. It was fine with him, so he became the Ravens. Um, and, and so it was. It was the the name became kind of an easy part of the settlement. Uh, but it is precedent, and it is something that the lawyers for you know the city of Oakland, the private attorney Jim Quinn, who has a history of fighting the NFL over his career and winning. So is, is it? 
Do they have a good shot? Look, you talk to enough lawyers, I think overwhelmingly the opinion is that it's a long shot. But if I'm Oakland, the value of that brand is amazingly high. I mean, we're talking about one of the, what, five or six most recognizable brands in the NFL. You know, like, I I asked somebody, again, a very high-level source within the Raiders organization, you know, what is it worth? I mean, because I said, you know, off the top of my head, I would think it'd be the brand would be worth like a billion dollars, you know, of the team's value. And that source said, didn't blink an eye and said, yeah, I think you're probably right, at least. So if you're talking about a team that's worth three or $3.2 billion, and a billion of that is wrapped up in your brand because so many people buy Raiders paraphernalia gear or whatever it happens to be, or they follow that team around. There's such a strong sort of national base for the Raiders. To, that becomes important. And I think it becomes problematic for Las Vegas if they're not selling the Raiders. Now, it's not impossible. I think they're still going to have a lot of entertainment value to having an NFL team. But certainly they take a hit in terms of Raiders fans wanting to travel into Las Vegas. You know, like all all the people who live in the eastern part of Los Angeles, that that four-county area that we call Los Angeles, you know, Ontario and all that area, who want Mm -hmm. to drive from there to Vegas because it's only a couple of hours, they're not going to be as enthusiastic about doing that if this is not the Raiders. Sure. Good point that you make. Jason Cole with me as part of the Three Dog Thursday uh, podcast. There's so many different facets to this story, uh, and Jason has got great insight on, on all of it. So uh, whatever the name ends up being for the for the team, and, and I, I would agree with you. I think that would be a death strike. It would be great to see Mark Davis in the octagon with somebody. Maybe Gruden as his tag team partner over the Raiders' name with whoever they're fighting. So that's that's one <laughs> facet. The other facet, yeah, there's a mental image for Jason on a, on a pre-record here on a Wednesday. Uh, where are they going to play next year? If they're not playing in Oakland and the stadium is not ready in Las Vegas and you tweeted and also reported they can't play in UNLV Stadium, Sam Boyd Stadium. It doesn't have enough suites. It's not NFL ready. Where are the Raiders playing games? Give me some thoughts and some insight. Well, one of the problems with Sam Boyd that people don't seem to understand is you can't play day games in September in Vegas. In <laughs> <laughs> not if you want people to live. Uh, you know, it's or August. Think about August, even night games in August in, in Vegas. It's just it sure. Brutal. So I think Sam Boyd becomes problematic from that standpoint and also from just a structural way of, in terms of putting games on. I have been told that won't work. I've also been told that there's nowhere in Northern California that they would want to go because it would just create all sorts of problems on the lawsuit side of it. So they can't play in Oakland. You know, people have talked about, you know, going to Santa Clara naturally. That I'm told was out. I said, how about Sacramento? I was told that's out. Um, Cal and Stanford. Um, I don't think, you know, number one, that's still Northern California. Number two, like those, those universities have agreements with the cities around them that I think would make it very difficult for them to bring in 10 events. It's, you know, it's one thing if you're just doing playing one, one or two games because you've had a problem at your stadium or whatever it happens to be. Like the Raiders played at Berkeley years and years ago because the, the the A's were in the playoffs in the early 70s, so they had to play at Cal uh, a couple of times. It's one game is, is one thing. Playing an entire slate of 10 games is something completely different. So 
start eliminating that. Now people talk about San Diego. I think if I'm Dean Spanos, I'd be raising holy hell to, to Roger Goodell about that. So that probably comes off the board. Los Angeles isn't going to work. You're not going to put them in a, a team, a market that has two teams. Now we get to, okay, Phoenix, Portland, San Antonio. <laughs> well, the you know, the like, Raiders Western it, Continent Tour, essentially. Pick it, a city, well, I, right? I mean, and a, couple, a couple of things you know, people have talked about, which are humorous, but you know, not necessarily altogether wrong or you know barnstorming you know, like you're basically going from city to city and i don't think that that's really likely and they'd probably want to play within somewhere within a short plane right away you know whether that's reno or salt lake city or portland or our phoenix you know depending on where they're training to like are they going to be able to stay with their training facility in alameda you know it's near it's near the oakland airport are they going to be able to stay there there's i mean Basically, the Raiders' world has just been thrown, you know, up in the air completely by this. They've got a lot that they have to figure out, which is one of the reasons why I mean, Mark Davis is not happy today. You know, somebody yeah. talked to him, they called this a malicious lawsuit. Um, he's on, and they had no comment when asked about, um, you know, how, where they would play. I mean, this, basically, with all the travel that you're talking about and everything that's going to go on, you know, your 2019 season, you know, welcome to 2-14 and 14 again. Yeah. Well, and the, the Saints obviously were forced to do it with Hurricane Katrina. They played part of their games in Baton Rouge at LSU's Tiger Stadium. I know I was there for one of those games against the Bucks. They played another. I, 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 covered, I covered one of those too, yeah. Yeah, there you go. And then they also yeah. played in San Antonio, which is another rumored place. I guess you, you, you mentioned the barnstorming thing. Not a horrible thing if you don't have a specific home. But you're right. I mean, it would be very difficult on the Raiders to essentially not have a quote-unquote home and be on the road traveling over and over and over again in the regular season to wherever they're playing, uh, just as the same as it took a toll kind of on the Saints as that year went on as well, that they were constantly going to Baton Rouge, going to a visiting city, coming back to San Antonio, playing a few times in San Antonio. It ended up uh, ended up being a mess. All right, so gauge it for me because I want to move on back to the foot the football on the field with the Raiders for a couple more questions. Is there a ten percent, five percent, one percent, zero percent chance that this gets smoothed over and they could still play in Oakland? Do you gauge it at one percent, zero percent, or or maybe even a little better that it could still get worked out from what you're hearing? Over, uh, I don't you know I don't know that one. I mean, I just think it's it's really hard to enter into a lease with somebody who's suing you. Like, it, that, it's hard to do business that way, right? And what is that, if you're doing business with somebody, uh, you know, uh, that, again, I'm, it, I've never had to make these kinds of decisions, and we're in un, sort of uncharted waters, um, you know, for me. So, like, I'd just be guessing, but, you know, I, I, I would say the Raiders have a huge incentive to try and smooth it over because they don't want to basically throw away a season sure. in this kind of fashion. So from their perspective, they'd probably say 20 30% chance we can try and smooth this thing over and try and play there. If I'm the city of Oakland you know, and I want, and I want to win this thing, it's probably closer to 0%. And uh, so I don't know where you'd come down on this one. I, I it, It's... This one challenges me in terms of, I, I have no experience over 27 years of covering the NFL. I have no previous experience with this kind of dysfunction 
where the city is suing the team that's leaving um, as they're about to head out the door. Jason, stand by. More of the conversation about the Raiders and their mess in a moment here on Three Dog Thursday. First, let me tell you about a sponsor that we have, new sponsor here to the show, and that is U.S. Health. Are you healthy? Are you young? And do you think you're maybe paying too much for your health insurance? Guess what? If you're young and you're healthy, you probably are. How would you like the possibility of saving on health insurance premiums by as much as 40 or 50% Every month, you'd go for that, right? I think a lot of us would. Again, whether you on a you've got a family plan or an individual plan, you need to investigate a little further the the fact that your health insurance may be too costly for you right now uh, for what you're getting in return. You're paying too much for something that you don't really get any extra benefit out of. In fact, contact the folks at U.S. Health. They've got a nationwide PPO that is ready to go. It is from Cigna, and you're going to lower your deductible uh, as well to almost nothing in most cases. They've got a great deal, a great offer. A lot of people are evaluating, uh, should I change health insurance here at the end of the year for 2019? Again, if you're healthy, if you're young, look into U.S. Health and go to this specific site. We want you to contact a specific agent. Go to U.S. USH for US Health, ushagent.com slash Zach, Z A C H. Again, go to ushagent.com slash Zach to save as much as 40 or 50% on your premiums. The deductible is going to go way down. And again, this is this is not some uh, insurance plan that you've never heard. It's a nationwide PPO through Cigna that Zach's going to tell you more about. Again, USH agent.com slash Zach is the email address we want you to go to. U.S. Health. Why not save more if you're young and healthy on your premiums uh, going into 2019 with U.S. Health? You can do it. Right. And most of the time, these moves, whether you talk about Modell with Cleveland or originally when the Ursays moved, uh, and you know this, with the Colts and a lot of the people that are under the age, the millennials that are under the age of 30 don't know what we're talking about, but go YouTube or Google the video of the the moving vans leaving in the middle of the night in the snow. You left like thieves in the night and you move the next season and then there wasn't the whole the fight. The Raiders announced this two years in advance that we're going to leave and go to Las Vegas. And so the the forewarning has been part of this. One more, just a quick answer. Is there any, if you know, is there any way possible that the Vegas stadium would be ready later in the year, like to play games in December if they were vagabond, barnstorming? Any clue? I haven't had a clue on that one. I don't know. But look, I would say this the, the people in Vegas have tried to move heaven and earth to make sure that, the, you know, make sure that this thing happens. If that's possible, I'm sure that they'll they'll try. I, sure, I, but I just I don't know what's possible. I don't know what their construction schedule looks like right now. And you know, like, are they supposed to be ready in you know August of 2020, and you can move it up seven months or eight months, or you know, is it impossible to move that schedule up eight months? Yeah, I, we have no idea. But, We're speculating, but it would yeah, be it would yeah, be a total speculation. It would be a fascinating thing of could they get it ready, say, for two or three home games in December to help the Raiders out and start the move? Who knows? I'm just speculating. I have no idea. The best, the best answer I saw on Twitter is that they should find a decommissioned naval ship. And, play. <laughs> and play. That, was, that was really, look at my timeline. Somebody said that. It's hysterical. Like, you, just, yeah. Why, why not? Or, uh, yeah. Or a, yeah. Uh, or a, a decommissioned military base. 
Right. Well, they have Gruden in a pirate uniform, you know, like like as as if he was like Captain Crunch. <laughs> um, <laughs> but my favorite, actually, my personal favorite one, you know, like on, on, just about me, is that they should play in Vancouver, Canada. And I was like, I'll volunteer to cover the team for the entire season if I get to go to Vancouver every yeah. week. Yeah, so if you get, a, get an opportunity to do that. And we do know, we do know because the NFL announced this again that on uh, on Wednesday they announced that the Raiders are one of the teams hosting an international game. And so whether that ends up being the Mexico City one game or one of the four London games, we know that's one of the home games. The question is, where would the other ones be? Jason Cole with me yep. for another, another few moments. I got to ask you about the Raiders on the field. So right now, as it stands, the last home game would be a Broncos Christmas Eve home game in Oakland if that's if that's the last one. This has obviously been a mess with John Gruden, compounded by you get rid of Khalil Mack, he's succeeding, the Bears are succeeding. You get rid of Amari Cooper, he's succeeding, the Cowboys are succeeding in part, in large part offensively because of it. Uh, Jason, my my hand is up as one of the guilty ones that thought it would work in Oakland initially, that he would be able to win seven, eight, nine games with Derek Carr. I didn't envision him getting rid of Mack and Cooper when I was saying that in the offseason. How big a mess is this? You mentioned you've covered this league almost 30 years. How big a mess is this no matter where they play in 2019? Oh, this is craziness. It's lunacy. Um, He's tearing this team down to the studs and trying to rebuild it. And this is something he's, you know, like he's never done this, right? And But he did the typical group thing. You guys saw this in Tampa where – it was like bringing a lot of old vets and you know try and build around those guys because they know the they know the playbook and all that. So you get the Jordy Nelsons of the world and some other guys like that. And you were thought you were going to be competing this year, but then you couldn't. You know, like you didn't want to pay Khalil Mack. Like you didn't know that it was going to be expensive to cover to to pay Khalil Mack. You didn't. I mean, that was lunacy to me. Like just not really understanding how the league works. And I'm not. You know, like. I'm not trying to say that John has, doesn't know football anymore. He certainly knows football. Um, but I don't think he understands the intricacies and the leverage points uh, that players have under under the collective bargaining agreement. So I just, you know, especially star players. So he's torn apart this team that, you know, had a foundation, certainly a foundational player and a receiver who has proven that while he wasn't a very good player the last couple of years when he was in Oakland, the talent was there and John couldn't get it out of him. So this is really troubling to me. And then what they've gotten out of these trades, you know, they got, they traded away Mac and a second round pick for two first round picks and a third round pick. Well, the second round pick that they gave up is going to end up being pick number 33. In, in all likelihood, or maybe 32. Right. The pick they're getting back from Chicago this year is looking like it's going to be around pick number 25. So you basically get, you're getting a third round pick and a first round pick for Khalil Mack, and you moved up like about seven or eight spots. That's not what Khalil Mack is worth by any stretch of any imagination at all. So, and the, you know, the next year pick, the, you know, the Bears look like they're going to be a pretty solid team. You know, they may not be a playoff contender again next year, but they don't look like they're going to drift much past to say eight and eight. So the next year, the pick becomes like what, 15, 16, somewhere in that range. Um, like that's not, that's not the payoff you're looking for, for a star foundational talent who looks like 
for right now, I mean, Khalil Mack looks like he's on a path to the Hall of Fame. Now, that's, I'm not saying he's there yet, but he's on that path, certainly. So this was a huge mistake by, by John, you know, not being able to figure out how to get the talent out of Amari Cooper. That's a huge mistake by John. Um, you got to put this on him. And now Reggie McKenzie, who he undermined from the start, um, you know, is, is out. And I would say that the only person who would be able to function in this job from this point on is Bruce Allen, you know, the old buddy down. <laughs> and you know why I'm right? laughing. You know why I'm perking up and laughing, because that's like a 15-year-later instant replay of what went on in Tampa where Rich McKay was ousted and Bruce Allen was brought in from yeah. Oakland because Gruden had worked with him in Oakland, and now they put the band back together. And if, if that's the case, I mean, we're in the bizarro world, aren't we, Jason? We saw this movie before. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't – pay to have uh, a either Irish or Scottish surname, I guess, Mackenzie <laughs> or McKay, and work with John you know, John Gruden. I guess that's the problem here. But uh, Or it pays to have the last name Allen, ultimately, too, if that's the well, case. That, 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 that certainly helps, no question about it. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Bruce is, you know, I mean, Bruce, his time in Washington is just about over because they're not going to, I don't think they're doing the new stadium in Virginia, and that was his his usefulness. There was he had a lot of political sway in Virginia that was going to help them get a new stadium there. I don't think that's happened. So yeah, Bruce is a natural fit to go back to the Raiders and take that job. I, I talked to a couple of other people who were you know more your classic GM role personnel types, and they said you know and they were like I wouldn't take that job because John wields all the power. You're not going to have. You're, all you are is a yes man for for John, and you're going to get second guessed by the guys that he's already brought in, like the Dave Brizanos of the world. So it's a powerless job. Now you might take it for the money, but it's a powerless job, and yet you don't get to do what you really want to do, which is pick football players. Well, if you know Bruce Allen, Bruce Allen's not interested in picking football players. He's interested in how are we going to manage the cap? What are we going to do here? You know, what are the, you know, how are we, how are we managing the personnel operation and doing oversight? But he's not, he's not out scouting, which is what a lot of those guys in that position want to do. They want to pick out the players and know what the team is going to look like. Well, we're not quite sure what the Raiders are going to look like, where they're going to play, what we're going to ultimately call them, although as, as uh, Jason yeah, exactly. has let, laid out, it's probably going to be the Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders. Then what happens with where they play? Could the Vegas Stadium, under my uh, conjecture, be potentially ready at the end of next season? Who knows? Uh, we'll find out all of these stories. I want to let you promote, again, fansided.com for fans of all sports, including the NFL. Tell them more about reading all the stuff on Fansided from you and others. Go ahead. Oh, fan size. We're, we're having a great time here. It's, it's sports and it's entertainment. So we just got done with our annual listing of um, the Fan 250, um, which is we rate the top, top 250 fan bases of not just sports teams, you know, college, pro, and otherwise, or individ, you know, individual athletes, but we also do uh, like Game of Thrones movies and Black Panther and all these <laughs> other things. It's, it's really fun. Like we have, a, like I walk into this office and we laugh every day. We're having a, we're having a great time with this, and you know we're trying to upgrade some of our reporting and you know grow and 
you know, we're still a relatively small company, but we are coming along pretty good with about 20 million unique visitors per month. So things are really going the, the right direction. Love it. Check them out. Fansided.com. Jason Cole writing NFL stuff there about the Raiders and all kinds of different national news that are going on that is going on all the time. I love your insight. Thank you for sharing some time with me. We did talk a lot about the Raiders, but I mean, there's so many different layers and facets to where are they playing? Who's suing who? Who's the coach? Do, how many draft picks do they need? When is Bruce Allen walking back through the door? How bizarre is it if you know the Buccaneer history and then the previous Raider history? It's crazy. So we'll see how it sorts out. Jason, thank you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thank you for hopping on the Three Dog Thursday podcast. I wish you well, sir. Uh, Thank you very much. Enjoy and happy holidays. Do continue one more time with Kevin Rogers. Back with me now, Senior Handicapper, VegasInsider.com. Love his insight and predictions. Uh, We were just talking at length there with Jason Cole about the Raiders and that mess. City of Oakland now suing them. As Jason is saying, he doesn't see any way that they smooth this over. They're not going to play in Oakland next year. May end up being a vagabond team playing in many different locations because Las Vegas doesn't have the stadium ready (laughs) as of yet. Um uh, Kevin, it, 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 I mean, they fired Reggie McKenzie earlier in the week. I think a lot of people saw that that was eventually coming. It did happen here. John Gruden sticking the knife in after taking the job. The Raiders actually won the game crazy fashion with the Steelers with the missed field goal where the kicker Boswell slipped down on the bad turf. What what about the Raiders and the potential mess here? They they may be playing one final game in Oakland Christmas Eve with the Broncos, and then that's it. No more Oakland Raiders. Now they're a, a nomad, a team searching for a home and then eventually ending up in Vegas. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, it'd be funny if they, and I've seen the rumor, not really rumors, but just the idea of them like even going to San Diego for a year uh, would, would be kind of funny That uh, if they went there. And it's a complete mess, and they made a huge mistake by giving John Gruden all that power and all that money, and the franchise has just gone south that fast. You know, it just looks very bad on, on so many fronts. And, yeah, I know they beat the Steelers. They hung with the Chiefs the last two weeks. But uh, you trade with Khalil Mack to Chicago. You see yep. how he changes that Bears defense. You trade Amari Cooper to the Cowboys. All of a sudden, now they have a big play receiver, and he's been fantastic with them, and they're leading the NFC East. So, you know, you don't look that smart by making those moves. You just don't. You know, you get rid of guys that are impact guys for you. They're now impact guys for division leaders elsewhere in the NFL. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, for them – We'll see if Gruden was the right fit eventually, but right now it looks really bad. Well, and as Jason Cole was theorizing here, if they are homeless and they're having to play games in another location and where do they train next year, where's the facility, where's the preseason – you could be looking at another bad year next year. And then and then becomes the whole question of what free agents, by the way, Kevin, want to go there and be part of that mess because it's not going to be in Las Vegas next year, apparently. They're going to be playing all over the place. Could the Raiders be awful two years in a row? And then what do they do? With a bunch of money still owed to John Gruden, who knows? Um, on that front. So, all right, let's get into the NFL underdogs. As I mentioned, Kevin had the Cincinnati Bengals successful last week. I had the Dolphins. Thank you very much for the Boise trick play at the end of the game that helps them win outright. And not only cover, I did have the Bears last week on Sunday night against the Rams. Hey, Kevin, quick comment. Who says they don't play any defense? Because Sunday night we saw the, the Bears put the sleeper hold on the Rams, holding them to six points. We saw the Seahawks hold down Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. It was 6 nothing into the fourth quarter 
quarter, eventually 21-7, to there was a little bit of defense being played by a couple of teams in the primetime games. Yeah, Seattle has definitely turned it around after a slow start, and they really shut down Minnesota. Minnesota just is a shell of themselves, looks like from last year. The Kirk Cousins thing doesn't look very promising <laughs> right now with the Rams and Bears exchanging interceptions. And the NFC is going to be very interesting, you know, when we get to these playoffs. And, you know, Atlanta, Green Bay, teams like that you thought would have been in are not in. And that sixth spot is still wide open, but I think Seattle's now solidified that five and they'll be dangerous even on the road in the first round. But uh, you know, you got a lot of uh, you got a lot of really good teams there at the top. And uh, I don't know if Seattle could knock off the Rams or the Saints or you know one of those teams. But uh, yeah, moving forward, getting to that second weekend of the NFC is going to be extremely interesting. No doubt. I saw the Saints firsthand at field level for the second time this year. Very impressive against my Buccaneers. I'm still shaking my head. Three days later, the Bucks, Kevin, were up 14-3. Second play of the second half, get a strip sack of Drew Brees and get the fumble recovery. They've got the ball first and 10 at the New Orleans 23-yard line. You're thinking, hey, they're going to go in and get a touchdown. It's going to be 21-3. All is going to be happy. Uh, happy players. Happy TJ Live Radio postgame show on Buccaneers Radio. And then the Saints turned it on. They they stopped the Bucks. The field goal was missed. Eventually, Taysom Hill blocked a punt. Uh, the, they got the run game going with Kamara and Ingram. They're an impressive team, New Orleans. They are going to be tough to beat, even on the road. They have won some road games now, including at Minnesota. They won at the Meadowlands against the Giants during their win streak. I know the Cowboys beat them in Dallas, but Give the Saints some credit. They're battle-tested. I saw them firsthand last week. All right, so that gets us to underdog predictions for this week. Where do you want to begin, sir, with a couple of NFL underdogs? Well, I just talked about the Bears and their win against the Rams, the home underdog. Now they're flipped to a favorite against the Packers. And Green Bay put up a very good effort last week against Atlanta. Again, Atlanta, a team that's you know been down this season still I don't, I don't know if it i'm not gonna say it's because of joe philbin <laughs> the joe, the joe philbin effect you're down in south florida he gets the win for green bay no you're not buying that okay no two challenges in the first minute and a half he's a clown i mean but uh <laughs> you know what he's a guy that that still found a way to become a head coach but they still have aaron Rodgers, so that that's the difference maker but you know, the Packers beat the Bears back in week one and that was a game that aaron Rodgers got hurt in and the bears played very well and then Aaron Rodgers came back and beat them. And, and now they're getting, you know, a touchdown in this game against Chicago, who's coming off this huge win against the Rams. And in a revenge spot, the Packers are over the road this year. And the Bears are 5-0 and straight, straight up in ACS as a home favorite this year. So you would think that those trends would continue. But when you look at Green Bay and who they played on the road recently, they've gone to Seattle, lost, close game. Went to New England, Close game, lost. Went to Minnesota, lost. They have played uh, the Rams that game that they had in the bag and they lost. So they've had games that they played against really good teams and they just haven't been able to come through. So they've been tested on the road. They just haven't passed any of the tests yet. I mean, you look at the two losses earlier in the year to Washington, who was playing well and to Detroit, where they just fell behind early, and, and that was it. But besides and I think that, Mason Crosby you know, missed 7 or 9 or 23 field goals in that game with Detroit. Yeah, he missed a ton of kicks yeah. in that game. So, you know, the Packers have not had you know the best of breaks in some of those games. They have some bad losses this year. I just think there's some value with them. That Chicago off that win over the Rams, 
Aaron Rodgers had success against Chicago in his career. I think the Packers are worth a look this week. How about that? So he'll take Green Bay in the six points in the matchup at Soldier Field. Chicago, again, trying to lock up the division. Uh, they would be in position to do that. Here now that Minnesota has faltered, the, the Vikings hanging on to the fringe of the, of the playoff hopes uh, in that one. So you'll take Minnesota. I am going to go with the Dallas Cowboys yet again. It, it surprised me a bit here. I know Indianapolis is at home, and, and typically the Vegas Lions love the NFL home team to give them at least a couple of points, if not three points, and that's the case here. Colts off the win over Houston, snapping the Texans' nine-game win streak. Dallas, though, rolling, uh, including the overtime win. You mentioned Amari Cooper earlier in this segment in the conversation and we were talking about it with Jason Cole too what an addition he has been and I I am one of those that was on the record on this show and elsewhere that liked that trade and thought it was a big upgrade for the Cowboys not just for him to be there but it would help the other receivers get open in the pass game man has that been proven to be correct I like the Cowboys off the win over the Eagles, beat the Saints. They've got a little five-game win streak going here. Uh, it, it is within their control now to win the East and get a home playoff game. Uh, there's even an outside shot they could work their way into maybe the two-seed and a bye if they keep winning. We'll see. There's got to be a lot of other losing for that to be the case between the Rams and the Saints. I'll take the Cowboys and the three points here against the Colts. I know Luck and the Colts have been good, but uh, hey, they played a game two weeks ago where they were awful at Jacksonville. And I know Jacksonville's defense is good. They didn't score in the game. So I'll take the Dallas Cowboys, thank you, and the three points going back at it here on Three Dog Thursday. So give me the Cowboys as my second underdog. Uh, Another underdog uh, from you, Kevin Rogers, here from the NFL to round out the slate for you. Well, we'll go with another AFC South, NFC East matchup, and the Titans taking on the Giants at MetLife Stadium. The Giants have, have been they're, – they're doing their best job to not get the number one pick of the draft. And they've won four or five. They're playing very well of late. They destroyed the Redskins. I liked the Redskins last week, and they just – Oh, they were yeah. Bad. They, they, they were bad. I mean, there's nothing more to say about that. But, uh, you know, the Giants have stepped up of late. Yes, they beat Chicago to overtime, but the other wins – they held off the Buccaneers in a high-scoring game. They beat a Redskins team that's down to their third-string quarterback, and it's not really good offensively. They beat also in this stretch the 49ers. 49ers, 49ers on Monday night, right? The big comeback by Eli Manning in the final minute, right? Yeah. So, you know, and again, I don't want to take away from them, but Tennessee, yeah, they, they've had two duds their last two road games against the Colts and the Titans. But they're coming up that big win against Jacksonville, the comeback against the Jets. Tennessee is still in the mix for a wild card. I think here they step up. They're still been a very good underdog this season. And, uh, you know, the Giants are stepping up in class a bit. That they, yes, again, they beat Chicago as a home underdog. Now they're laying points here to a good Tennessee team. I'm mean, not great Tennessee team, but good enough, I think, and better than some of the teams they played uh, during the stretch. So I'm going to take the points of Tennessee. Understood on that point. I got one more underdog that I'm going to give you. Reminder, Three Dog Thursday brought to you in part by FanPlayoff.com. Play postseason fantasy football like you never have before for free. Go to FanPlayoff.com and find out more. Those drafts will be happening right as the regular season ends. FanPlayoff.com. Play for free. Draft your team. Get your players ready. 
It's going to be a blast with FanPlayoff.com. So you like the Titans. I actually like them as well with Derrick Henry off that monster game. I had him for fantasy football purposes, but that Thursday night game against Jacksonville, he was racking it up, including a 99-yard record-tying touchdown. Tony Dorsett now has company. Dorsett on Monday night football uh, against the Vikings. Henry on Thursday night against the the Jaguars. Just stiff-armed. I think he just stiff-armed another Jaguar. Uh, They're going down the sideline. Great performance from him. Let's see what Henry looks like against uh, Saquon Barkley in that matchup. I'm going to go with the Steelers off the loss to the Raiders and now back-to-back losses for them. Overtime loss to the Chargers. Oh, uh, late, late loss where they missed the field goal, the botched field goal against the Raiders. I- I'm going to go Steelers against New England in a revenge situation from the controversial game at the end of last year where it looked like Pittsburgh had the go-ahead touchdown, if not the winning touchdown. Overruled on the catch-no-catch. Remember the tight end, Jesse James? Catch-no-catch. Oh, it only meant New England wins the game, and it only meant that New England gets home field advantage at the end of December because of that. Revenge game back in Pittsburgh. Uh, the Steelers, a two-point favorite. This is a late game for Sunday afternoon. I think New England might have a little hangover after the ending against Miami. Brady has still been tremendous with Gronkowski in there. Edelman off the suspension early in the year for the four games that he missed. The offense still clicking, but I think Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's not going to lose three in a row. I think Pittsburgh and Tomlin realize we can still win the division, have a home playoff game. I believe they win this game outright, Kevin. I will take them as my final underdog and the two points going with the home doggy in that situation. All right, so that rounds out our underdog predictions. VegasInsider.com has got everything that the football fan would want for the NFL, the College Bowls, but a lot more too. Tell them more about it, Mr. Kevin Rogers. Well, our Bowl Central page is all set, and basically four pages. It's breaking down each of the weekends of the college football bowls, and you can, it's your one-stop shop, in a sense, for bowl histories, line movements, expert picks, all of that on every single bowl game, from the Cure Bowl to the Rose Bowl, all of them. So you can check that out on our Bowl Central page uh, under college football. Also, the NFL with three weeks to go until we get to the playoffs, NBA still rolling along, college basketball, trying to get through final exams. Then we have conference play starting in a few weeks. That'll be very exciting, as it is every year. A good two, two and a half months of conference play before we get to March Madness. Hockey's still going on. So we got a lot right now as uh, we head into the Christmas break in a few weeks. But still a very busy time with the football and the other sports of VegasInsider.com. Also, check us out on Twitter at TwitTheI. Yeah, great information there. And as you mentioned for the college hoops, we'll be talking a lot more college hoops in January once the bowl games are over, the NFL playoffs, but we will also have college basketball in January. And then this Three Dog Thursday program will become exclusively college basketball February, March, and all the way through the Final Four in Minneapolis this year. So stand by uh, for us to talk a lot more college hoops. Some good games this weekend, by the way. Uh, I know Villanova got upset midweek by Penn, but Villanova at Kansas, Kevin, my Memphis Tigers. I'm, you can't see me. I'm wearing my Memphis Tiger shirt as we speak. Da, 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 go Tigers, go. The Tigers and Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee off the upset of number one Gonzaga will play in Memphis. Early game Saturday for college hoops. Uh, again, uh, a couple of other games. Gonzaga, North Carolina on Saturday night. Some, uh, some good college games. Cincinnati, Mississippi State. So check all all of that out, all the information at VegasInsider.com to find out more about the college basketball, the NBA, as Kevin said, the NHL, as well as the football. 
Um, we love that. We, we love all the information that they have there. And you can follow them again at TwitVI. Follow Kevin at VI Rogers. He's a great follow on Twitter at VI Rogers. My thanks to Jason Cole with Fansided.com, national football writer and editor-in-chief there at Fansided.com. We appreciate him coming on to try to dissect and decipher the Raiders mess and talking a little pro football. Uh, we're going to be back to do this again next week. College Bowls are here. Many more bowl games. NFL season winding down. Kevin, I'm looking forward to it. We appreciate your time here, sir. Thank you, TJ. There is Kevin Rogers. He's got Eastern Michigan in their bowl game Saturday with Georgia Southern. He's got the Green Bay Packers against the Bears and the Titans against the Giants. I'll go Middle Tennessee in the New Orleans Bowl, the Cowboys and the Steelers in the NFL for my three underdogs. Follow this show at Three Dog Thursday on Twitter. Subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Whether you found us on Radio Influence or however you found the show, subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play to Three Dog Thursday. You won't regret it. By the way, check out our new daily Three Dog Thursday minutes on Alexa as well, Kevin Rogers. We're on Alexa now with the Three Dog Thursday morning minute. Every morning you'll find out something about these underdogs in college football and the NFL. Again, with Alexa, just search the Three Dog Thursday morning minute and uh, and sign up for those as well. All right, we got to get out of here for now. Thank you for being with us on this edition of the only digital radio show devoted exclusively to underdogs. It is Three Dog Thursday. Enjoy the games. This is a Rush the Field quick fix on Radio Influence. I always look at bowl games this way from a coaching standpoint. It is 16 bowl practices that you have. It is so important for the development of your program that you go to bowl games. Mm -hmm. It's like having an extra spring practice. And I always looked at it this way, that preparing for a bowl game, unless you're in the playoffs or in the old days, the BCS, the bowl games are really the first game of next year. It's a chance where during bowl practices where you have a lot of time, you can put new things in. You can focus on playing a lot of young guys since a lot of draft eligible guys are going to be not participating, which is another story altogether. Yep, like we'll get, to get into that into. in just a second. Um, it, it allows you to say, all right, young guys, this is your team now. This is your first game to next year. And then for the guys that are playing their last game, you you, you want to win it for them. You know, Johnny, Bill, and Joe, they're, they're, they've, you know, gone to battle with you guys. Send them out a winner. I think it's a good thing. It's all positive to me. And as I said, if you're not crazy about the games that are – you know, between seven and five and two seven and five teams. Well, then again, don't watch it. it, it it's it's not man, it's not mandatory, but it certainly beats um, not having as many of them. Because I can go back into days where you only had about eight bowl games, and then then you went into to about eight or ten. And now it's not as big to make a bowl game. It's a lot easier to make them. But I think it's a good reward for a lot of programs um, that that again allows them to give them more practice and and build their program for the future. Rush the Field with Scott Seidenberg and Chris Leadry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.